Born as a direct-to-consumer multivitamin brand with a strong focus on transparency, Ritual entered retail stores for the first time in 2022 with Whole Foods and expanded in 23 with Target and Amazon. Now an omni-channel brand and a certified B Corp, Ritual has expanded its menu of products to include a symbiotic for gut health as well as a skin hydration supplement called Hyacera. And the company just launched its bio series, Extended Release Melatonin for Sleep. Ritual set some big goals as it relates to traceability and environmental footprint and has conducted life cycle analyses to measure the carbon impact of all its products. To learn more, I talked with the company's chief impact officer, Lindsay Dahl, in this interview. If you could briefly discuss your role, how you see responsibilities within the company, and then as a company, how do you assess or measure impact? What challenges do you face in that effort? Great question. So Ritual is unique in that it has C-suite leadership focused on impact and impact as a word can cut both ways. So we think about it as both reducing negative impacts and also trying to maximize the positive impacts our business has on the world. It's no secret that anytime a company goes to make a product, there's some sort of impact uh, to the environment and to people's health. And so the way that we've kind of focused our impact programs is based on where do we as a business um, have the biggest opportunity to try to reduce our impact? And we focused on a few key areas, the first of which is around ingredient traceability. We can get into what that means for Ritual, but it's really been at the DNA of the brand since the really early days. The second is sustainable packaging, um, which we define as packaging that is recycled, recyclable, or refillable in nature. And we also set a climate goal to have net zero emissions by 2030, because we know that the supplements industry is really focused on taking care of people's health but has mostly been kind of asleep at the wheel when it comes to the biggest health issue of our time, which is climate change. So between climate, sustainable packaging and ingredient traceability, which of course are all intertwined and connected in a lot of rich ways, we felt like that was the best way to organize our impact and sustainability programs within the company. Yeah, I want to dig into each of those. Um, But first, sort of looking big picture, you know, we see all this this movement around environmental, um, uh, social and governance, ESG. Is there a reason how you framed it as impact versus ESG? Or what do you, do you think that they're sort of one in the same or are there differences between them? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, if you think about sustainability, ESG and impact, um, all three of those terms are in some ways undefined. Um, Sustainability and ESG are more defined than impact is. We decided to call my department the impact department because we also, I oversee things like advocacy work. Mm -hmm. How can we use our business voice to help pass um, oversight of our industry that are going to help kind of scale the accessibility of things like safer products? Uh, And so it wasn't just fitting within the kind of solely sustainability bucket. And ESG is a term that's mostly used. It's kind of a, it's a, finance reporting framework for publicly traded companies and we're privately held. So um, I think all of them have important attributes, but sustainability is probably the kind of most well-known um, kind of terminology. And we we kind of use them interchangeably, but we felt like impact was the most 
appropriate for our brand because it also is are those are words that kind of resonate with our core customer who deeply thinks about impacts to their health and also impacts to the environment. Yeah. And you said ritual in many ways sort of is is built on a found a traceable, transparent foundation. Um, could you discuss a little bit more about what it means to have a hundred percent of the company's ingredients now made traceable? Um, what work went into uh, verifying, you know, all the all the um, information that's that's publicly available for um, customers on your website. Yep, traceability is incredibly hard to operationalize, but it's critically important to make sure that you're delivering. Um, safe and efficacious products to the market. So Ritual has the first visible supply chain of its kind. And what we define as made traceable is we publicly share the final place of manufacturing and the supplier name for all of our active and other ingredients. So customers can go to our website and look on our ingredients page and find the source and supplier for our algal oil, for example, um, and where it's manufactured. And we think that's an important kind of proof point for people. So we always talk about traceability as transparency with receipts. And so you can go and visibly see on our website the receipts of our supply chain. We know that traceability also is a longer journey. And so we're very open about that. And in some cases, we have a great degree of traceability. For example, the peas that are used in our protein powder, we partner with Puris. Um, uh, and we know the zip codes for where all those peas came from. And that was important information, not only for us to make sure that we were delivering a high quality protein powder to the market, um, but it also turns out that that level of traceability is really helpful when we're starting to transition to these other big problems like climate change. So 100% of our ingredients made traceable is something that we hit last year at the end of 2022. We seek, we aim to continue to maintain that 100% for all new product launches that happen. And the work behind it is, is pretty laborious. So we not only have to have really strong relationships with suppliers during the kind of design phase of the innovation pipeline, but we also have to know that those suppliers are going to be okay with being publicly shared mm -hmm. on our website. So we really think the kind of intimate nature of the partnership with our suppliers is the core of what makes this brand special. And certainly it's a key driver time and time again, when we pull our customers, it's one of the top reasons that they shop with us. Do you have intention to, or can you dig further from place of manufacture to the origin of those ingredients? You know, what, yes. where do you go from here in that traceability uh, position? Yep. Um, we've been on that traceability journey since the company started. So um, it really depends on the complexity of the particular supply chain, which is why traceability is so hard, as I mentioned before. So if you think about something like the peas that I gave an example of earlier, that's a much easier supply chain to trace than say a lab made uh, ingredient that has a bunch of different inputs that have their own supply chains. And so for every ingredient on our website, we have a different level of, um, we're kind of in a different level of the journey based on the complexity of those raw materials. But our suppliers know that this is something important to us. And it's um, something that we're continuing to update publicly with our customers, but also hold our suppliers accountable as those supply chain shift. It's also critically important if you think about a lot of this work happens for brands behind the scenes because of kind of traditional 
uh, traceability programs, which are grounded in human rights review. And so we've got new federal regulatory requirements that, uh, regardless of if you care about traceability as a brand in general, require companies to continue to push their suppliers for more and more visibility around those complicated supply chains, because ultimately we're on the hook when it comes to things like um, sourcing uh, raw materials from you know regions in China that are currently prohibited for import in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Ritual has a, a code of conduct um, that outlines several, I think over 20 requirements for suppliers, everything from anti-corruption, human rights monitoring, environmental compliance. Can you explain that process for evaluating and, and the discussions you have with suppliers and partners before you, you know, ultimately do work with them? Yep. This is one of the kind of fun parts of my job. Well, there's a lot of fun parts of it, but I really like getting on the phone with suppliers to talk about these issues. It's pretty uh, apparent very quickly who really know their supply chains and who don't, because those that have um, an understanding of whether it's human rights risks or environmental harms that are associated with their particular raw materials, if they're doing really good work, they're proud to share it. And um, so it really starts with phone audits with all of our suppliers. We have standardized questions. We ask them based on the type of raw material they create, produce, or source. Um, And we created those audit questions based on some of the best practices from the International Labor Organization and other authoritative bodies. So it's really a kind of a back and forth. And then after we do the phone audit, we ask suppliers for follow-up substantiation and writing. Sometimes, again, you see a pretty big gap from what you're told on the phone and what sort of documents they're able to um, share with you to kind of make sure that there's parity between what you've heard and what you've seen. Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, early on, when we're trying to think about the, um, not only the best efficacy from a scientific perspective for the nutrients that we go into our products, but also making sure that there aren't risks kind of hiding in the corners. Um, Those conversations really kind of shed a lot of light and really impact which suppliers we choose to give our business to. Mm -hmm. Do you collaborate or can you speak to um, collaboration with other companies and industry? You know, many, many companies use the same suppliers. Is there pre-collaboration that goes on with competitors? Uh, I would say I hope there's more of that in the future. And we're starting to see a shift. The tone in which uh, Ritual kind of shows all (laughs) publicly is actually designed to help drive that. Mm -hmm. So um, someone had asked our CEO early on, why why on earth, like you're spending all this time creating these high quality formulas, why would you share your suppliers publicly? Um, You know, what if a bunch of other people use those suppliers? And she said, I hope they do. Mm-hmm. And that's really critical because our suppliers who, again, their names are on our website, they're getting calls from new people, new players, or even existing players within the market who say, oh, I see that Ritual is using X supplier algorithm. We're going to call them to like learn more about their algo oil. And we've heard anecdotally that those businesses have increased since we've been publicly sharing their names. And I think the amount of diligence that goes into whether it's from an efficacy, sustainability, uh, or human rights perspective around those ingredients, when we put someone on our website, we're proud of them. And we really hope that their businesses benefit because again, there's there's kind of a wide array of different raw material suppliers and kind of quality behind the programs behind them. Why not help support uh, the companies that are doing it well? Uh, Ritual aims to have 100% sustainable packaging by 2025, meaning recycled, recyclable, or fillable. 
Um, can you talk about this journey with the challenges you face and sort of maybe which of those three legs of the stool are the hardest? Yep. Sustainable packaging is not a defined term, which is why we're really careful to define it every time we use that uh, term. And I think the easiest for the business has been around using recycled content. So our multivitamins and prenatal bottle, for example, use 100% post-consumer recycled PET. Um, that has been an important kind of story for the business because when you use scientific tools like life cycle assessments, we found that using glass instead of 100% um, recycled plastic actually resulted in 59% more carbon emissions because glass is very carbon intensive. And so using recycled materials has really been part of the brand's DNA. If you receive our multivitamin, it comes in a 100% recycled paper. Um, ultimately it's trash, <laughs> a trash mailer that you open up and pull out that 100% recycled bottle. So that's really been the easy part of the journey. Um, curbside recycling, as we know, even if certain materials are curbside recyclable, the recycling rates in the country are actually very low. Estimate between five and 9% are actually recycled. And I think the biggest challenge has been around refillable products for us. So we get a lot of requests from our customers. And we know when we look at circular packaging models, using our post-consumer recycled materials plus a refill model would actually be best in class. The problem is, is when we have tested those refill pouches, the nutrients and the stability of those formulas didn't uphold the um, shelf life that we had hoped. And so I think sometimes when consumers are saying, oh, I really want to refill, uh, so do we, but we want to make sure that we're not actually compromising all the hard work that went into making that formula. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're going to crack that nut. We've been working on it really hard, especially over the last year. Um, but again, nothing is really easy when it comes to packaging. Yeah, that's for sure. How, what, what do you, what are your expectations for the timeline for that? When do you expect or hope that you can be maybe crack that code for refillable and, and maintain the integrity of the formula? Yeah, as soon as possible. It's a top priority. We also, uh, originally the brand was just direct to consumer. We've now expanded into Target, Whole Foods, and Amazon. And so the distribution has become more complex as well. So mm -hmm. we're kind of trying to layer on new challenges as the business has been expanding. Um, but it's a top priority that we actually included in our corporate um, initiatives for 2023, and it's on the map for 24 as well. Maybe the biggest lift you mentioned is the company set a goal net zero emissions by 2030. Your report noted that 99% of emissions are scope three, which refers to indirect emissions associated with making products. Uh, can you talk about maybe more about what scope three means and the process for measuring? Uh, you mentioned, you know, life cycle assessments. And how do you ultimately move the needle on that front? Yep. Uh, great question. The Climate goal is by far the most ambitious, and we were very open when we set it. We weren't sure if we were going to hit the goal uh, because we use the best science to help drive decisions around our the nutrients in our formulas. So why wouldn't we use the best science to help uh, create goals for our sustainability program? That was the reason and rationale. We also have felt as a brand that a lot of the climate work kind of stopped and started at goal setting and offsets. And we know that net zero inherently as a goal reduces the reliance on offsets and it actually pushes companies to reduce the amount of carbon they're putting into the atmosphere in the first place. So that's the spirit in which we're tackling this climate work. 
Um, the first step is we started to do annual carbon accounting, where, as you mentioned, scopes one, two, and three, we're measuring um, the overall carbon footprint we have as a business. And scope three, for most companies, is where the majority of those impacts lie. But it's also the hardest for companies to actually get a handle on. That is directly tied to our traceability promise. If you go back to what we were just talking about, really knowing our suppliers, having that trusted relationship makes my job a lot easier to help unpack scope three and try to reduce emissions over time. So we took first step, corporate uh, carbon accounting. Next step, we just completed custom life cycle assessments for each of our products. And what that means is we don't have theories, we now have actionable data. And so I get to look at all of our formulas side by side and say, these ingredients have higher carbon emissions than these, or we made a really good decision by um, purchasing those regenerative peas from the United States, because look, they're actually, they have a negative carbon emissions associated with them. And when you can actually look at that actionable data, then you can create a plan to start to reduce emissions over time. So that's the stage we're in right now. We're both looking at areas and hotspots hot for us to reduce emissions. But perhaps most important, all that information we just gleaned from those LCAs, we're actually applying to future innovation. So for example, the business wants to create product X and we say, oh, okay, it's going to be reliant on this ingredient. Maybe let's try to find a different supplier or maybe can we use a different ingredient because it turns out that that's really carbon intensive. Previously, we didn't know that. We had informed choices and informed guesses in sourcing those ingredients sustainably, but now we have real data to start to look and create a, a robust climate program that hopefully um, can inspire others in the industry. Is scope three broken out into further segments? You know, it seems like that scope three is such a huge bucket. Yep. I wish it was, um, but within the climate community, it just kind of is the catch-all for basically anything that happens after your owned spaces, whether it's retail or headquarters. Um, but there are kind of key, I would say, roads or pathways within scope three that you can start to understand. So your distribution, what sorts of fleets are used to distribute your products to customers' doors, mm -hmm. um, what sorts of emissions are associated with the actual manufacturing of your products, what are the emission pathways for the raw materials before they get to manufacturing. That's the kind of information that we now have um, mm -hmm. and actually ritual as of last week, is the first company within the VMS category to publicly share the carbon footprint for all of our products. You can go on our product pages and you can see um, the associated carbon emissions. A lot of people won't be able to connect to that number and that's actually not the point. The point is to show again, these proof points for customers that we're not just talking about climate change, that we're actually trying to understand what sorts of impacts we're having um, by creating products every single day. Mm -hmm. Now, as, as Ritual launches new formulas, how does impact play in the development process? So Ritual just launched a new skin health supplement. Um, how do you factor that into um, you know, new product development? We're, uh, the impact work is enmeshed at every stage of our product development pipeline. So if you think about the very early stage of selecting suppliers and kind of thinking about product concepting, everything from the packaging to what sorts of new product categories are we going into, uh, we're an important seat at the table to talk about how we could design these products in a way that um, is going to kind of 
go contrary to what the industry thinks. So you mentioned our um, recent beauty supplement called Hyacera. A lot of people have been really focused on collagen. We are a vegan brand, but we actually are solving similar problems to what people are seeking when they're taking collagen. But we know that there's environmental and human rights um, problems well-documented within the beef and cattle industry associated with the collagen production. So that's a, a good example of both how where the science and also sustainability um, have kind of driven the innovation uh, kind of concepts for products that we launched to market. But every single touch point, everything from ingredient traceability to packaging selection to ingredient human rights review, uh, we are kind of throughout the entire product pipeline. We do, I think one thing that's been really helpful for us is we use a software called Bluebird Climate. So during the development process, you can actually get rapid LCAs that are directional, um, but highly accurate through this very simple software. And it's nice because it's affordable. A lot of different people within the business can use this software and it can help show trade-offs of if we used organic versus inorganic or conventional, or we're using this type of packaging or virgin plastic, which we wouldn't use, you know, what are the trade-offs? And so there are these great tools that can help you kind of unpack both climate and packaging uh, impacts while you're starting to um, actually create a product. Mm -hmm. um, Rich, the last goal uh, that I wanted to discuss, and, and maybe there's more that I missed, but um, Ritual's goal to complete clinical trials for all existing products. And then there's a timeline, I think of three years for, for new formulas. Why is this important? Um, and what does traceable science mean to you? Yeah. So our made traceable promise is broken down into traceable science and traceable sourcing. We just talked a lot about traceable sourcing and kind of all the intricacies of that work. Traceable science is equally important. Um, and what that means to us is we want we want those proof points, not only for our sustainability programs, but the science behind our uh, products. So we know that um, consumers are skeptical around the efficacy of certain supplements. And we also know that human clinical trials are the gold standard when it comes to proving out that efficacy. So for example, we have a university-led peer-reviewed clinical study on our um, kind of core product, Essential for Women, that multivitamin. And it's been really helpful because we can say, look, you don't have to believe us, but we know, look at this clinical trial to see how vitamin D levels were positively impacted over the course of taking this product. We really wanted to apply that same level of rigor across our entire product portfolio, which is unheard of in the industry. And so we have kind of for all of our existing products, we have clinical trials kind of sketched out and certainly for new products as well. And we think it'll be really powerful when we have not only all of those proof points when it comes to human clinical trials around the efficacy, but also all of these proof points, whether it be through our public traceability um, promise or certifications around traceable sourcing. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier uh, that advocacy is a part of your, your job description. Um, and earlier, uh, I think last year or maybe this year, I think it was this year, Ritual called on Congress to um, strengthen dietary supplement regulations. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, what um, maybe prompted that, or if that's, uh, you know, how you view advocacy and, and that effort and what sort of feedback you've gotten to date. Yep. 
My, um, so my professional background is in public policy and advocacy, and it's something I'm really passionate about. The business has been weighing in even prior to my joining on uh, a various kind of important issues, including things like paid family leave, um, kind of core issues that our CEO and business cares about. And also we've been doing the work internally to try to uphold. So as you mentioned earlier this year, we launched our traceable wellness roadmap it was really intentional to have a high level look at when you look at the dietary supplements regulatory landscape, where do we see opportunities based on our experience of bringing products to market where regulations could not only help businesses, but also help advance protecting people's health. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just about, you know, traditionally a lot of government affairs work happens behind the scenes and is really about kind of protecting the industry status quo. And we want to be a business that is going to be pushing forward conversations, including increasing access across the entire supplements industry to make sure that some key um, kind of fundamental issues with our regulatory framework are addressed. Now, a lot of people say that the supplements industry is entirely unregulated. That is not the case and that's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is there are key areas where the FDA and Congress have an opportunity to better protect our health. So a good example of that would be um, there's no uh, comprehensive set of health protective standards for heavy metals on um, categories like supplements or protein powders. And yet when you look at the peer-reviewed research and consumer testing, both protein powders and certain botanical or plant-based supplements are at an increased risk for heavy metal um, contamination. And a lot of cu customers are increasingly becoming aware of the issue of heavy metals. And so we feel like it's entirely appropriate um, to have our uh, government leaders really reassess what the existing regulations are. I would say early read is that both from Democrat and Republican offices alike, there have been, there's been a lot of openness and willingness to talk about what could an updated um, system look like. Currently there's no uh, piece of legislation on the table, which I actually think is a really good thing. I like to have the conversations before you're nitpicking pieces of legislation. And generally, it seems like there's a strong appetite between the FDA and Congress to really start to see, um, is it time for us to update those laws, which date back over 30 years? Yeah, it's been since 1994, since DeShea has passed, right? Yeah. Um, what kind of feedback have you gotten from within industry? Are, and you know the trade groups uh, that we've talked to often cite uh, the balance of access to products and and safety which is you know uh, key and essential and the bottom line um but say that further restrictions or for or further regulation may restrict access to products what's yep. your response to that i think so there's a few things i um there's several trade associations in the industry so i'm not going to bucket them all together because i don't sure. think that'd be fair they have mm -hmm. lots of different positions in some areas, rituals, vision overlaps really clearly with some of those trade associations. In other cases, they do not. I think at the end of the day, um, working in coalition, whether it's a trade association or a group of companies is the only way you really get federal regulations passed. And simultaneously, um, 
trade associations aren't the, you know, only gatekeepers of democracy. So Ritual has a right and space to be able to share our point of view based on what it takes for us to formulate products and bring them to market. And I think the more voices that can contribute to that conversation, the more kind of diverse perspectives can be taken into account and the better policy outcomes that can happen. Um, I and Ritual are not kind of in a interested in like fighting with um, opponents. I think what we want to do is to try to see what can be done, what's realistic, and where is the kind of middle compromise to balancing things like safety and access. I think it's a little bit of an outdated perspective that the more you regulate an industry, the less you'll have access to it. If you look at a lot of different consumer product categories, whether it be food, children's toys, beauty and personal care, when you pass safety legislation, which is what our kind of orientation is, when you pass safety legislation, you actually can increase the access to safer products across the entire category. And that's the ultimate goal, because right now it shouldn't be dependent on how much money you have to buy the best supplements. Um, there should be a kind of existing regulatory framework that holds everyone to a high standard to make sure that regardless of where you're shopping or how much money you have, that you have access to safer products. So ultimately, we remain really kind of excited about continuing to engage. Policy is a very long road, um, and we're aware of that. So I think that the conversations we've had with some industry partners have been really positive to show where I think there's definitely some um, areas for us to make meaningful progress. And certainly within congressional offices, there's a large appetite for people to find a, a path forward. Mm -hmm. Now, Ritual's growth has, has been impressive. You, you, know, like you mentioned you've gone from direct to consumer to, to some large retail outlets now. Do you feel like you're raising the bar in terms of quality, traceability, transparency, um, and environmental stewardship? We hope so. Uh, but we're also not perfect and we're, we're very cognizant of that. And I think it's important to talk about publicly, you know, even traceability, as we talked about, it can be defined a lot of different ways for different people. So we try to be really careful about where we're making progress and where we're setting a bar, uh, bar high, excuse me, mm -hmm. um, and where we also have our own work to do because no company's perfect. Um, bringing products to market is incredibly hard and doing so in a responsible way um, is even harder. And so I think the goal is to have as much of an open dialogue about this as possible to hopefully either inspire or help hold ourselves accountable as the business starts to evolve. Obviously, sleep is a huge uh, consumer need these days. I wonder if you could maybe talk about it a little bit and how it's it's uh, meets a need in today's market. Yeah, we're really excited to be announcing a new product category that we're entering into, which is sleep. We know that sleep is the foundation of health and obviously a huge need state, not only for kind of today's supplement consumer, but specifically uh, the consumer that we serve, which we fondly call the healthy skeptic. Uh, so we're really excited. And I think one of the best things about this product is the formula design. So BioSeries, there's actually three different tablets of melatonin within the capsule that release over the course of one sleep. And the idea is to try to keep not only a rich sleep, but for an extended period of time without the grogginess in the morning. And so um, if you think about the intersection of efficacy from 
choosing those high quality ingredients, but also the format of a lot of Rituals products are very innovative. This is the first foray into a new, new format for us as a business. And we're, we're really excited. I have to say, I've been using the product. Um, it's incredible. And um, I think there's kind of varying degrees of quality when it comes to sleep products in the market. And we really hope that this one resonates. Lindsay Dahl, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you.